Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 9, 27 to 38. You can follow on uh, newmercy.cc slash hackbulletin or above. As Jesus left the house, two blind men began following him, shouting out over and over, Son of David, show us mercy and heal us. And they followed him right into the house where Jesus was staying. So Jesus asked them, Do you believe that I have the power to restore sight to your eyes? They replied, replied, Yes, Lord, we believe. Then Jesus put his hands over their eyes and said, You will have what your faith expects. And instantly their eyes opened. They could see. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Make sure that you tell no one what just happened. But unable to contain themselves, they went out and spread the news everywhere. While they were leaving, some people brought before Jesus a man with a demon spirit who couldn't speak. Jesus cast the demon out of him, and immediately the man began to speak plainly. The crowds marveled in astonishment, saying, We've never seen miracles like this in Israel. But the Pharisees kept saying, The chief of demons is helping him drive out demons. Jesus walked throughout the region with the joyful message of God's kingdom realm. He taught in their meeting houses, and wherever he went, he demonstrated God's power by healing every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless, like wandering sheep without a shepherd. He turned to his disciples and said, The harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. This is the word of God. Hi, welcome to Sunday service here at 1030. Um, For those who don't know me, my name is Josh. Um, If you looked at the Columbia photo, I was the one that was photoshopped in. I don't know if you could tell or not, but I was photoshopped in really well by Grace Kang. Um, If you're a newcomer or a first timer, um, I just want to welcome you to our church on behalf of our staff and leadership. Uh, We're so glad that you can join us here at 1030 New Mercy for worship. And I hope that your summers have been awesome as it's coming to an end. Um, I always get a little bit sad during this time of the year because, you know, the sun sets quicker, which means the long days are over. Um, But at the same time, my favorite season is coming up ahead. Um, And I'm excited for fall this year because uh, school starts for me this week. So I'll be heading into my last year of seminary. Uh, The weather is going to get cooler and I can be basic again and I can go drink pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks very, very soon. Uh, My youth group kids, they always make fun of me. They're like, Pastor Josh, you're the most basic person in our church. And I'm like, you're right, you're right. Um, But this summer has been very busy for me with summer classes. And then two weeks ago, I just got back from Ivory Coast Summer Mission. So um, on behalf of our team, I just want to take this time to thank to thank you guys, to thank the church um, for supporting our team this year. Um, we had such a great turnout for our fundraiser event, and we were able to give these awesome camp t-shirts to all the families and youth who participated in our camp this year. And for some of us, you know, you know, we're so used to growing up in like, you know, the youth group retreat culture where you always get t-shirt after t-shirt, year after year, retreat after retreat. But, um, you know, these t-shirts for these kids were really important and significant because, um, you know, for some of them, it was their first camp retreat experience ever. 
Um, and so we had 110 students um, join us for camp this year. It was the most that we've ever had in the past four years. And on the last night, 60 of them accepted Jesus. And so it was the first time we were able to give T-shirts to them at this camp um, just to, you know, remind them of the place and the time and the retreat in which they got saved. Amen. And so it was just really awesome seeing that. So we just want to thank you guys for being so generous and so supportive of missions and the teams that we send out every summer. Um, but I just want to talk about Ivory Coast really quick. Our mission team was really, really amazing. Uh, I had the privilege of leading a great team. Shout out to all the Ivory Coast members here. Woo! Um, and it was one of the best missions trips that I've ever got to be a part of. And it was just awesome just witnessing God move very, very powerfully. I just want to share two quick testimonies really quick. Um, when, we, when we're on Ivory Coast and we go to a village, we evangelize, right? So we um, split up into groups of four and five. And we literally go house to house, door to door. And we knock and we ask the Ivorians who live there, hey, like, can we, can we just talk with you? Can we get to know you? Um, can, we, can we share the gospel with you? Can you pray for you? And on the, on, on the first day, um, my team, we ran into this 11-year-old girl um, who had a very cloudy right eye. And, and we figured figured out that she was born blind and that she couldn't see at all. And it was just so funny because in my group, out of all people, I had David Kim, our 1030 David Kim. I don't know if he's here today. Our 1030 David Kim, who's an eye surgeon in our group too. And so, you know, I asked him, hey, Dave, is there anything that can be done for this little girl? You know, like, can we get surgery for her? Can we do something? Can we get medications? And he said, no, unless God intervenes or does a miracle, there's like, there's nothing that can be done. This condition is irreversible, he said. And hearing that irreversible, you know, my heart starts pumping. I'm like, let's go. Like, you know, like either God shows up or he doesn't. We're like, we're going to pray for healing for this. And so I get excited and we pray for healing. And Jesus healed her where she was able to see light for the first time in her life. Amen. She was able to see light for the first time in her life. And David Kim told our group that medically speaking, that this was impossible, that this was a miracle. And so we pray for her two or three more times because we wanted to see her fully heal, right? And, and um, we prayed two or three times, and nothing happened after that. Um, but, yeah, and then, to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed. I was like, oh, man, come on, God. Like, why can't, why can't we see full healing? Um, but then when we're walking back, David Kim, um, he was, you know, being the eye expert that he is, he told us that before when she couldn't see light, even if she got a certain procedure done, it would be pointless because she would just still be, she would just still be blind. But now, because of her ability to see light, she's able to get the specific procedure done, and she's able to get, get, regain her full vision back. And I was like, wow, Jesus, I repented on the spot. I was like, wow, Jesus, you're good, you know? Like, you don't tease us, you don't disappoint us, but you always leave us with hope in every situation. And so the second testimony I want to share is this, that on the next day, um, another team came across this little boy who was born mute, and they felt led by God to pray for him, um, for him to speak, for his vocal cords to be healed. And so they prayed for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Like, I would have given up after five, but they prayed for 30 minutes because they said that each time they prayed for him and they placed their hands on his throat, they felt a growing vibration, growing and growing. So they felt like God was going to bring the breakthrough. And at the 30-minute mark, he was finally able to let out a cry for the first time in his life. And our team actually has a recording of it somewhere in Google Photos, but it's somewhere there. But yeah, it was just amazing. And they were crying and they were telling us a testimony of, of what God is doing. And so it was just such a fun trip. God kept bringing up these two testimonies from a trip over and over again. And so with those two miracles that I experienced in Ivory Coast, I was reminded of the two miracles and healing that Jesus performs in our passage today. The healing of a two blind men and a mute man. And so I just want to go through this passage, and I feel like there's going to, I want to draw us, draw us out some points that I feel like are relevant to our congregation. And I feel like um, it'll help us get a better idea of the season that we're in. And more than teaching today, I, I actually want to prophetically preach to our church. 
I want to take this morning to challenge us because I feel like God wants to prepare us for a season that's up ahead. And so would you just bow with me really quickly, and we'll just pray, and then we'll get right into the message. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God that heals. Lord, that no situation is impossible in your eyes. And so, God, Lord, we just pray that all the miracles that we experienced at Ivory Coast, Lord, that we would be able to experience it here in our church. So we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in our passage today, Jesus is traveling all over the region in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9, where he performs 10 miracles, miracles in total. He, he, he heals the sick. He calms the storm. He raises the dead. And eventually, he's in his hometown of Nazareth, where two blind men follow Jesus. How? I don't know, right? But they do. They somehow follow him. And they pursue after Jesus over and over again, saying, Son of David, show us mercy and heal us. Now, the first thing I want to highlight is this. These two blind men recognize that they're blind. I know that sounds a little bit obvious, but it's not. Trust me, it's not. Because there's a lot of blind people who don't know that they're blind. There's a lot of people who are not self-aware of the brokenness, of the issues, of the sins, of their need for mercy, and the need for a healer. And that's why I love the first part of our church's vision statement, Church for the Broken. Because the first step in restoration is coming to a place where we acknowledge, where we're aware of our blindness, of our brokenness, of our issues, of our need for mercy and healing. So these two men, they recognize that they're blind, that they're not seeing right that their vision is messed up, that they're seeing dimly, and that their perspective needs healing. You know your perspective or vision isn't right when you find yourself negative, cynical, discouraged, without expectations, and hopeless. When you start believing the worst in people and situations, when you actually start believing God to not show up, And in that moment, you know that you've gone blind and that your vision is not right. You're not seeing right. And so not only did they recognize that they were blind, but they were pursuing after Jesus to get their healing. They were putting a demand on Jesus to restore their sight. And the passage says that they followed him all the way into Jesus' house. Now imagine with me the scene. Like, can you imagine Jesus walking through his hometown? There's this massive crowd that's following him. And at the very end of the back of the crowd, there's these two blind men stumbling, tripling, tripping, bumping into each other, right? And they're crying out over and over again at the top of their lungs, son of David, show us mercy and heal us. People around them are probably telling them to, you know, to shut up, to be quiet. Like, you're just annoying, you know? People are telling them, like, hey, just give up, you know? Like, you're not going to receive your healing. But these two men, without the help of guides, They pursue after Jesus. They're desperate. They cry out, and they follow him all the way to his house. They pursue him so passionately to receive their healing past what is comfortable, past what is socially acceptable, what's socially normal, because they're that desperate to receive their healing from Jesus that they end up in his house, and they're saying, I'm not leaving until you heal me, Jesus, because I need to be healed and see right. I'm not content with seeing this way, with this negative lens. I'm not content with this lack of vision for my life. I'm not content with my world. I'm not content with my circumstances. I'm not content with my bank account, my doctor's report, my family, my spouse, my kids, etc. I need your perspective, God, on my career, on my future, on my parenting, on my business, on my nation, and the issues that we face in our day and age. I need my perspective healed. How hungry are we for God to heal our sight? 
How desperate are we for God to bring breakthrough in our lives? Or have we grown used to our perspective, the way that we've been seeing? Have we grown comfortable with with seeing seeing things the way that they really aren't? With a dim, skewed, negative perspective. Like I said, I love our church's statement. But I want to challenge us today because I feel like some of us, we've gotten comfortable in our brokenness. And I think some of us, we've used our brokenness as an excuse to remain where we are. That perhaps we're content with remaining blind. Yeah, I'm aware of being blind, but I'm okay with it. Maybe we've lost the desperation that these two blind men show to go after God, to believe in who he says he is. Others of us, maybe we've been so intentional about going after the restorations and the issues in our lives, but maybe it's taking longer than we expected. Maybe we're not seeing as much fruit as we, have, we would have hoped. And so our vision's going a light, slightly dim. And the idea of giving up, the idea of settling is, 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 is pleasing. But I want to encourage our church this morning that Jesus wants to restore your sight, that Jesus wants to heal your perspective, amen? So Jesus asked the two blind men, do you believe that I have the power to heal you? And these blind men replied back, yes, Lord, we believe. And Jesus tells them this, you will have what your faith expects. You will have what your faith expects. Can we declare this right now together? Can we declare it out loud and right now and just say, I I will have what my faith expects. I will have what my faith expects. What are you expecting for God in your life right now? What are you expecting for God to do in your life? What are you expecting for God in your family, in your career, in this season of your life? Perhaps some of us, we are not even expecting at all because we we've, we've, we've know what it's like to expect high and, and be disappointed. And so maybe some of us, we, we even forgot the ability to expect something. You see, I need Jesus to heal my sight, my vision, and my perspective so I can receive what my faith expects. Because if I don't have the right vision, I won't have the right expectations. If I don't have the right vision, then I won't have the right expectations. So I think it's critical that in this season, we align ourselves with God's perspective and not our own. That we need to be in alignment with what God is saying over our lives rather than what the circumstances around us are dictating. Because I feel like God is inviting us into a new season where he's going to move powerfully. But if our vision, if our perspective, if, if our sight isn't right, and if we're going to constantly look at a negative, skewed, dim lens, and I feel like we're going to miss out on everything that he wants to do. So my first point this morning is this. Jesus wants to restore your sight. Jesus wants to restore your sight. After that healing, some people bring, for, bring before Jesus a man who is mute. And this man is specifically mute because of a demonic spirit that is in him intentionally trying to silence him. And Jesus cast this demon out immediately, and, and, and it says that the man began to speak plainly. Right? Some trans- translations say that he spoke profoundly, clearly, um, fluently, etc. When Jesus healed it, it wasn't like he was stuttering, but he was speaking plainly, fluently, profoundly, clearly that the crowds marveled in astonishment, saying, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. Now, that's interesting to me because the whole thing about chapter 8 and chapter 9 is, is Jesus just doing miracles after miracles back to back, back to back. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen Jesus calm the storm. Yet, they're most marveled in astonishment at this particular last miracle. And you have to wonder why, right? 
And I believe it was because of Jesus' ability to discern that this man's condition wasn't a physical issue, but it was a spiritual issue. I bet so many rabbis around that time that they tried to heal this man of his muteness. But, they, but the thing is that because they didn't have the discernment to realize that it was a spiritual condition, they couldn't, they couldn't realize that they needed to cast the demon out. But Jesus was able to discern that. And I feel like some of us in this room, in this season, that perhaps in the season that you're in right now, you may have lost your voice due to shame, due to fear, due to hopelessness. And I want to propose to you that the enemy has been trying to silence you from speaking profoundly, from speaking fluently, from speaking clearly. More than it being the negative events or circumstances in your life in this season, I feel like the enemy has been on assignment to silence you using shame, fear, intimidation, and hopelessness because he knows that there's power released when you speak. He knows that there's power in your voice when you speak up. You see, silence is such a calculated move by the enemy because, number one, the enemy knows that when we speak, when we declare things, we direct our lives towards what we speak. We direct our lives towards what we speak. In James 3, um, he describes the tongue as this. The tongue is like a small rudder that directs the entire large ship, right? And therefore, the words are powerful. What we speak is powerful. We are pulled in the direction that we speak. Words have power. Words are like rudder that causes us to be directed towards what we say. And so I feel like silencing us is the enemy's assignment so that you cannot speak and direct your life towards the plan that God has over you, towards the plan that God has destined upon you. Number two, the enemy silences us because he knows that when we declare things, we are able to possess the promises that God spoke over us. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is, is, receives this inheritance of, of a commission, of a promise after Moses, right? That he's now in charge to lead the people of God into the promised land. And so can you imagine Joshua's being nervous, being, being like, oh my gosh, how am I going to fill Moses' big shoe? And the Lord encourages him and he says this, he says, meditate on my word day and night so that you can do all that is written. Then your way will be prosperous and you will have success. Now, in Hebrew, that word meditate, it means to talk, it means to speak, it means to declare nonstop. And so God was commanding Joshua to talk nonstop, to meditate nonstop, to declare nonstop so that that the word and promises that God speaks to him will come into fulfillment. That he may really enter into the promised land and receive everything that God has promised him. So silencing you is the enemy's assignment so that you won't be able to declare the promises of God in your life and see them come into fulfillment. And when we don't see the promises of God coming to fulfillment, we end up hopeless more than anything. Lastly, the enemy wants to silence us because he knows that when we declare things, we bring life. Proverbs 18, 21, it says this, there is power in your tongue to bring life. We're, declare, we're, we're called to declare things to life, even though things may seem dead, things may seem broken, things may seem lost. We're called to speak and bring life through our word, through our voice, through our declaration. And so the enemy has been silencing us. It's been his assignment to silence us so that we can't speak life over ourselves, over our circumstances, over our, our region, over our nation, over the season that you're in right now. When we were in Africa, we finished up all of missions. And on the very last day, we're hanging out. Uh, we've ate dinner and we're all just chilling. And we have to leave 
for, um, we had to return back home. The flight was at like 6 o'clock in the morning that following day. So um, the thing about Ivory Coast is that New Mercy sends a team, and a team from Korea um, also sends a team, and we worked together for 10 days. And so, you know, we're all hanging out, and then we're all trying to go to sleep, and I get a knock on my door, and then it's someone from the Korea team, and they're like, oh, Jeon Do-sa-nim, or like, oh, pastor, like, you need to come right now. Like, you need to do deliverance. And I'm like, what the heck is going on, right? Like, I need to sleep to get on the plane tomorrow. And then, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do this by myself. So I get Pastor John. Pastor John was, like, trying to sleep too, and I like, I was like, hey, you got to come. So we go downstairs together, and um, there was this one um, sister of ours on the Korea team. She's, she's, a, she's a lovely woman. She's a wonderful woman. Uh, she loves God so much. She loves missions. Um, but the thing is, is that she experienced a lot of deep traumatic experiences in her life. And so, um, you know, the enemy had access to her. Um, and, and at that moment, for some reason, on the very last night, um, the enemy just, like, was starting to act out. Um, and it's just starting to say stuff, um, scream stuff, and, and just act out. And it was, this was, like, the weirdest thing where, like, the evil spirit, for some reason, this is the first time I experienced this, but, like, it was, like, doing weird karate moves, like, through the woman. And so, so it was going like this and, like, doing some Dr. Strange stuff. So, like, it was just crazy. It was, like, a funny, crazy, serious moment. So I, I, just to give you a picture of the last night, like, we're in a room. This woman, uh, through the evil, the evil spirit, through the woman, is, like, doing all these karate moves, Dr. Strange stuff. Me and Pastor John, we're trying to cast a demon out. And then all of a sudden, the evil spirit talks to us and tells us that it's going to kill me and Pastor John. Like, it, it like, tells me that I'm going to die in three days. It's, like, all this crazy crazy stuff. And then, you know, at that point, I didn't feel any fear. But then all of a sudden, she started going on this, like, tirade, and she started just, like, pointing out weaknesses in me. And she just started speaking lies over me. She's like, who do you think you are? That's the question that first started. She said, who do you think the evil spirit was speaking through her? Who do you think you are? Like, you really think you're a pastor? You're weak. You're insecure. And uh, for those of you who know, I have sun allergies, right? So my sun allergies acted up during the missions trip. And so, she, you know, the evil spirit pointed that out. I was like, God doesn't love you because if he loved you, she wouldn't have given you that. And then all of a sudden, I, I felt this, like, oppression come over me. Like, I felt this weight come over me, and I felt this silencing. And all of a sudden, I started believing the lies. Like, oh, wait, who am I? Oh, wait, yeah. Like, I'm, I have no authority. Like, I'm weak. I'm insecure. I have this sin in my life. I'm dealing with this right now. And I felt this silencing come upon me. And all of a sudden, I felt like I needed to declare who I was in God. And so can you imagine just karate, Dr. Strange, curses coming out of everywhere. And all of a sudden, it started getting physical. And she was, like, grabbing me. And she started, you know, going on this tirade. And she was looking me in the eye saying, who do you think you are? And at that moment, I was like, I'm a man of God, right? I, I screamed it out. And, like, it was, it was, like, a funny moment. It was, like, I was, I was embarrassed soon after I said it because of the way I said it. I wish I was, like, cool. I wish I was, like, bushes. I was, like, I'm a man of God, you know? But I was, like, I'm a man of God. Like, I said it so, like, you know, embarrassingly. And Pastor John was there. He was, like, laughing, too. It was, like, it was funny. But I feel like I needed to declare at that moment because I needed to declare, I needed to use the power of my voice to declare who I was in God and who God was in my life. And at that moment, I felt the fear, the insecurity lift off of me. And so I feel like in this season, some of us in the season that you're in, or maybe it's been a longer season than you expected, there's been a silencing upon you. And you may have thought that it was just because of negative events or circumstances in your life. But I want to suggest to you that the enemy is scared of the season that God is leading you up ahead. And so therefore, he's been trying to silence you so you won't have the power to declare truth and who God is in your life. So I want to encourage you that Jesus wants to restore your voice. That this next season will be a season where you will find your voice again. You will be speaking plainly, profoundly, clearly. You will be making declarations over yourself, over situations, over people. Because even though the enemy has tried to silence you, Jesus is coming to restore it, amen? 
And I love in this passage that Jesus heals the eyes before the mouth. Because can you imagine that if we're looking at things or people with a broken and skewed perspective, and then we use the power in our voice to declare things over it? Right? Thank God, right? Thank God that Jesus heals the, the eyes before the mouth. That we have to get our vision and perspective right before we use the power in our voice. Because you see, when Jesus, Jesus was always in alignment with the Father. He was always connected to the Father. So when he saw things, he saw them for what they truly were. And therefore, when he spoke into situations, into people, something shifted and transformation took place. When he said, let there be light, it, it wasn't like it took a long time for darkness to like fade out, you know? Like, no, think about it. When you turn on a light in a room, darkness flees instantly. Why? Because there's power in your voice and transformation takes right away. And in the same way, I want to encourage you that there's transformation waiting to take place in your life if you will speak to it, if you will call it forth, if you will declare it, if you will release it, if you will speak life into circumstances. I want to encourage you this morning that you can shift atmospheres in the season in your life right now. So number one, Jesus heals our perspective. And number two, Jesus restores our voice. In this last section of our passage, you know, we see that Jesus walks throughout the region. And it says this in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Right? In a Passion Translation, it says this, that he walked throughout the region with a joyful message. With a joyful message. Like, I wish that was said about me. When Josh walks through Bergen County, that he drips with joy. It's not. And some of you guys who know me, you're like, yeah, that's definitely not you, right? But I wish it was said about me. Some of you guys, um, yeah, like, imagine if we're just dripping with joy like Jesus. Where it's not about striving, it's not about being super Christian, but it's this natural fruit that happens when you're connected with the Father. Right? It's, when you're connected with the Father, it's natural for you to drip with joy, that people want to be around you, that people want to get up all in your joy bubble, that people don't want to avoid you because of your neg- negativity, but they want to be around you because they want, they, they want to be around you like they were around Jesus. Because you give hope, you release life, you give peace in their life. Then it says that Jesus demonstrated God's power as he traveled, right? That he taught and he healed every disease and every affliction. And I feel like it's time for our church to demonstrate the good news. It's time for our church to demonstrate the power of God in our lives. Not just talk about it, but actually demonstrate it. And for some of us, we've been so busy. We've been so trying to just rely on our own strength that we're, we're getting tired, And it's time for us to get plugged in back to the real source, to the living water, to the well. It's time to get connected and intimate with God again. So that we're not just talking about the, we're just not talking about the kingdom of God, but that we're actually demonstrating it. And I feel like I just want to put out a challenge there too. If someone wants to look at your life from five years ago or from 10 years ago, would they be able to see the demonstration of God upon your life? Or would they see that you just remain the same? that there's no fruit. It's time that we demonstrate the power of God in our lives. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't see them as being needy. He doesn't see them as being messy. 
Right? As a pastor, I'll honestly confess when it's ministry time and I see a bunch of people line up, I'm like, oh my gosh, so needy. And like, I'm just like angry and I have to repent at the moment. I'm like, I'm God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But I love that Jesus' first genuine reaction is compassion. Because who is he? He's Lord. He's the compassionate one. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. God's heart towards humanity is compassion. His heart towards you is compassion. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at you with judgment and disappointment or with fear. That's not the way he looks at you. But he looks at you with compassion, pure, beautiful compassion. It's who he is. And because he's so moved by compassion, he wants to be a shepherd to these massive crowd. And so in verse 37, moved by compassion, he says this to his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. While I was praying over this passage, I just got an image of a tree with a bunch of fruit on it. And the fruits are huge and the fruits are ripe. But no one is coming to pick them off. And because of that, the fruits eventually, they get so big that they just fall to the ground and they get bruised. And I feel like the Lord is saying that the kingdom is at hand. The harvest is plentiful, but there's no one to come and pick these fruits. That they're falling and that they're bruised. Can I say this? That the world is hungry. The world is thirsty. All over this Bergen County region, all over our world, in every industry, in every sphere of life, there's a harvest waiting for people to show up. And so Jesus talks to the disciples, and, and I love that Jesus doesn't yell at them, right? If I were Jesus, I would be like, you lazy fools, and I would yell at them. But he looks at them, and he says this. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. And God's just brilliant here because he makes them pray. And, then, and, right, and right in the next chapter, chapter 10, he actually sends out the disciples for missionary work. So it's brilliant by Jesus because he knew that he would send them out. So he had them pray about it so they can be the answer to their own prayers. And he says, pray to the Lord of harvest. You see, when we pray, there's this divine exchange where we cast our burdens onto the Lord and the priorities and the thoughts and the heart of God come onto us. That when we pray, when we put our focus on Him, when we look into His heart, that something begins to change in us and there's a different prioritization where God's heart becomes the single most focus. It becomes the main thing. And then we begin to drip with joy. We begin to demonstrate God's kingdom. We begin to be moved with compassion. And so I want to challenge your church with this. When was the last time you prayed for the harvest? When was the last time you prayed to God to send out more workers? When was the last time you personally led someone to Jesus? All right, let's be honest. If we're honest with them, when was the last time we personally led someone to Jesus? You see, the power of God is in you. You are his ambassador. You carry the kingdom of God inside of you. You shift atmospheres. You can speak life into people and situations because this is who you are. So we need to stop expecting for God to come and pick the fruits of the harvest when he's telling us that the fruits are actually waiting for us. The fruits of the harvest are waiting for someone to come and pick them up. We just need to go, and they're just waiting. Do you know who I learned the most about the harvest from? From my own mom. You know, growing up, she was a stay-at-home mom, and so it's just me and my sister. And the one thing that I hated most about my mom was going to supermarkets with her, going to HMR specifically. 
because I knew exactly what was going to happen. We would get it. We would buy our stuff. We would get on the cash register, and most likely there would be another young mom with an infant, right? And she would ask the mom, oh, how old is your son or your daughter? And then she would compliment the child. And the next thing you know, I know where she's going. She's like, oh, do you go to church? And I know that she's on this evangelizing mission. And I'm like, I just have to sit there and wait. And then the thing I hate the most is like when she's like, oh, well, I don't know why these people even listen to her. I don't, I don't even know her. But they're like, they're like, oh, and they have conversation with her. And then she's like, oh, do you go to church? And, and they say no. And then she's like, oh, well, why don't you come to my house for dinner tomorrow? And, and we'll talk, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know why these people say yes, but they do come. And I hate it because, well, guess who's looking after their infant? This guy, right? And so I knew that that was going to happen. But I really learned about the harvest from my mom because even though she was just a stay-at-home mom, she knew that there were fruits, that there were people out there waiting for someone to come and just spread the good news, to talk about Jesus, to pick them up off the floor and to harvest them in. I want to encourage you that the harvest is ripe and ready. That people are hungry, people are thirsty, people want a true living encounter with the living God. If you just go out on a prayer walk in any city, I promise you, you'd be surprised more than not that if you go up to a random stranger and say, hey, I want to pray for you from God, is that okay? You'd be surprised more than not how many people are willing to say yes because the world is coming to a place where they're hungering after the the living God. They're coming to a place where they realize nothing else matters, nothing else satisfies. And they need someone to come and point them to Jesus. So first, Jesus heals our eyes. Then he heals our voice so he could send us out for the harvest. And while I was praying for our church, I really feel like God is entering us into a season where it's going to be go time. I feel like he's going to enter us into a season where it's go time. We're going to be, there's this urgency, there's this conviction in my heart that he's going to send out our church for the harvest, that he wants to partner to send us out into the fields of Bergen County. It's going to be this new season where we're going to put the brilliance, the goodness, the faithfulness, the power, the love of Jesus on display, right? That there's going to be new wine and new fire coming out of us individually and that people are going to look at your life and they're going to want what you have. And so I feel like the Lord is saying, you need to get your perspective healed and you need your voice restored because when that season comes, I want our church to be ready. I felt like that was what the Lord was pressing on my heart this week because that's the greater vision. The vision of our church isn't just to get more members. No, it isn't just to attend church, but it's to really live out the kingdom. It's to live out the kingdom. Because what good is it is if we just focus on brokenness and restoration in our church and for ourselves, and we're, leave, we're living healthy, holistic lives, but at the same time, we're not doing anything to bring restoration to the world out there, to the harvest out there. So I want to encourage and challenge you this morning that it's time. It's time to get out of complacency. It's time to get out of our comfort. It's time to get past our stagnancy. It's time to press in. Because I'm telling you, there's this urgency that I feel in my heart when I pray for the church. That we need to keep pressing in because there's going to be a season where the harvest is going to come. There's going to be new wine. And God wants our church to be ready for the harvest. Amen. So at this time, would you just all stand?